Okay, so we're good to go, Michael, David? Good to go. Yep, yeah, we're good all go. right. So this is a bit strange, isn't it? Or at least atypical. I'll let you know what's going on. This podcast is going to be released simultaneously on three very different YouTube channels. So if you're not used to seeing me here, this is why. I'm joined in the studio today by two very special guests. Michael West is one of Australia's most brave and prolific independent journalist. He does an excellent job over at the West Report. And I'm very privileged, I think, to be joined as well by David McBride. Now, I don't know if you know David McBride's name, but David McBride, of course, is notorious because after many years of coming to grips with our conduct in Afghanistan and trying to resolve that through official channels, he went public and became the notorious Afghan war crimes whistleblower. And with the three of us here, we're going to talk about some of the issues that really matter to you. So I've got no desire to be some sort of wannabe David Frost any longer, and we might just have an authentic conversation about this and that. And the first thing that strikes me is the rise of bullshit as a seemingly legitimate instrument to, for determining policy and important decisions and things of that nature, and also these ongoing insidious attacks on the freedom of speech which is really, when you think about it, the most fundamental freedom that any of us enjoy. So, Michael, we might kick off with you. How many times have you been threatened with some sort of legal action as a result of annoying somebody on the West Report? Well, I've had now, well, we had six last year, and that was my sixth year as an independent media operator. We had six threats they're only threats, they're just nasty letters saying we demand that you take the story down, private and confidential, you can't tell anybody, pay us the cost of sending you this letter um, because you've made vile and scurrilous claims about our noble client. Now, the, the three of us have had some training about what defamation is, so I, mm. I would find it amazing if you actually did step over the line and call someone a murderer or a rapist in the absence of some judgment to that effect. So in your view, is there any legitimacy to the complaints that you've received generally, or are they really just people who are hurt feelings, annoyed that you've told the truth about them, etc.? Well, the problem with the defamation laws, John, is that really you can sue somebody if you feel that you've had hurt feelings. If you feel your reputation has been damaged, you've had hurt feelings. So one person's defamatory imputation or claim is another person's nothingness. You know what I mean? Some people have got a higher tolerance. I mean, we saw this week Peter Dutton uh, went down on appeal to Shane Barzi, the refugee advocate who, who said something negative about Dutton and then pulled the thing down, but Dutton still went after him in court, even though he pulled his defamatory tweet. My it's point it's is amazing that... to me that a, a senior government minister would give two hoots about a tweet. Like, come on. Well, people use the defamation laws to muzzle other people yeah. whose opinions they find adversarial. They don't like them. They just send you a letter saying, shut up, pull that story down. And uh, generally, for me, it backfires because I've been around defamation for so long, for two decades, being threatened by people. David, let's talk about you now because you're, you're somebody who's really been operating quietly within a system that's got very tight boundaries for most of your life. Yep. So you, I think we all agree that the freedom of speech is important, but there has to be limits, reasonable limits on what may be said. So given your background as a lawyer and as a soldier, just give us some context about what you think limits about free speech should be and how they might work in a functional society. Yeah, no, it's a good question. And as Michael said, um, it's been used as a weapon. And uh, as we discussed before, my battle is, is not really about war crimes. They're a symptom. It's, it's, a, it's a war on bullshit, the jihad on bullshit. And some things need to be secret, uh, obviously. And uh, I've got no problem with that. But we are, we are using the idea of secrecy to cover up uh, lies, cover up crimes. Uh, and we, we began to treat it like we were selling washing powder or fake, fake green cars 
the sort of stuff you rail against. We were just making stuff up. And as a professional soldier, it got to me because we were never going to win the war. We're certainly not going to win the next war if we just make stuff up about what we're actually doing. What okay, so, so in society broadly, all right, we probably need to have limits around things like vilification. Yep. Right? Because that's out of bounds. Yep. And in war and at the national level, surely we need to be concerned about operational intelligence and things yep. of that nature, keeping that covert. Absolutely. Right? Yep. That's yep. important. Yep. But everything else should be more or less fair game, shouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we need to know if, if our strategy is failing, if we're, if we're sending soldiers to their death, um, we, we need to know whether we've, we've made mistakes. Uh, we can't be, um, uh, we protect people at the top because we're worried about reputational management, but we need to, we need to actually uh, hold people to account. And the problem with bullshitting all the time is we don't hold people to account. As Michael said, we, we were just twisting the laws, the same as making my trial secret. That's an abuse of the process because they don't want and Bernard Caleri's. There's nothing secret about your revelations, right? No. There's nothing operationally sensitive or any of that nature. These to things what? happened in the past. Right? Even, even, yeah, even in 2004, exactly. It, it's 10 years ago now at a war we're no longer fighting. It's a complete crock to say they have to protect this information. It's reputation management then. It's national at the national yeah, level. Yeah, so yeah. They want they, they don't want people to find out what they did mm. because it's a crime. Uh, they don't. Re it, it's not going it, to. And in fact, if anything, it, it's. It, we need to know if we're going to win the war against China, which they keep on talking up. We need to fix uh, the mistakes we made in the past. You're not going to go into the next. You know, into the grand final with a team that lost. You know, the wooden spoon last year without seeing what went wrong. And uh, they don't want anyone to know what went wrong. They don't want anyone to know that they just make stuff up uh, because that will, people will, you know, heads will roll. One of know. the things that the overlap here is that when you interviewed David, I watched that uh, interview with great interest and you were talking about the way the Americans latch on to PR, the two of you about, you know, the Taliban and their abuse of women's rights. It strikes me that you don't deploy the army if women's rights are being abused. That's generally not a reason to go to war. But uh, you made a comment about if you talk to a Muslim girl in Afghanistan, what's she most terrified of? Is it the way the Taliban are going to treat her or what? Can you remember what you said? Yeah, I said they're, more, they're, they're, they're far more worried about getting killed by an American bomb. Uh, and we kill thousands of them. So the idea that that's that's the PR machine. They know that that hits um, a resident, uh, an emotional note with people. If we say, "Oh, we're there for women," we were never there for women. We were there for all sorts of geopolitical reasons, and uh, we just like greenwashing, like you see in in the car. We just make stuff up that that people will like, um, and that uh, really annoyed me, you know, that we were just uh, the first person any general goes to is the PR and, and say, basically, give us a good reason as to why we've done, what we can say to the public to win them over, <laughs> you know, rather than what's, what are the facts, yeah. what is the law. And the change is so effortlessly, doesn't it? Because in Iraq, first of all, it was weapons of mass destruction yeah. when there were none of those around. Uh, they changed it to nation building and having to liberate yeah. the people of Iraq, Saddam Hussein's a baddie. And yeah. Afghanistan was very similar, wasn't it, in that situation, in that sense, because it became nation building after it was originally designed just to, yeah. what was it, but, smoke out the baddies in their caves was the original pretext. Uh, the global war against terror. I, I, against it depressed terror. me when mm. I used to, when I went mm. to um, Arlington National Cemetery, and some people, I don't know whether they're being ironic, but on the gravestones, they've just got, uh, GWOT, and um, which of course is a totally bullshit thing. The, the, the concept where there were more terrorist incidents, like 30 times more in 2012, um, 12 years into the global war on terror. <laughs> we were making terror, yet this yeah. court, the idea that we were somehow fighting terror. Um, when we weren't, we were, we were actually, you know, we were, we were causing mayhem there was no uh, but but those kind of uh sound bites 
take hold. One of the lessons that we learned in, in the, um, I think it's reverse evolution from the Vietnam War is that they got the journalists um, off the battlefield or they put them in what they call embedded. Embedded. And now if you go, where, you go across, you're really pushing that government line. Otherwise, you never get to go again and it's a license to print money. And we saw how powerful it can be when on the 15th of August in, in 2021, when the, uh, the Kabul regime that we'd installed, that was always a, like a phony regime, just collapsed within a week. And the president took off with his helicopter full of money. And, um, it's like a script from a B grader. Yeah, it's, and, yet, and yet no one, no one really knew. There were no journalists, New York Times, no one was pushing. Everybody on the inside knew that would happen. But no, no one back here knew that was going to happen. And that's why I was so happy to see those photos. And a week before Biden had been saying, oh, there's one thing that's not going to happen and that's we're, we're not going to be leaving by the embassy roof. <laughs> and yet and no one said, hang so on. I got an endless mark it's too. Like, yeah. 50 years later. How yeah. come nobody in the, in the, in the, none of the journalists had pointed this out? So it was a fantastically well-kept secret. In some ways, I really admire the information operations guys, they are good, but it's pretty embarrassing that um, they managed to keep that secret for 20 years. Where is the line about what our government is allowed to do in war? Because it seems to me that when we had medieval war, it was pretty savage and everyone got put to the sword if they were on the wrong team that day. Yep. And we've got this more civilized version of war now, especially since World War II kind of thing. Um, where is the line about what the Australian government is allowed to do? You're a lawyer signing off on operations in Afghanistan. What are we allowed to do? Well, there are sensible limits, uh, and, and there are sensible limits on um, uh, exaggerations, you can tell. And, and as I said, I believe that they were giving um, medals to highly inappropriate people because they were good press, and you were more like, if you were good looking, and if you could give a good interview, uh, you were going straight to the top uh, and if they needed a scapegoat. And that's one of the reasons that first got me onto this. It wasn't actually the war crimes. It was I could see we were scapegoating people, people that had done their jobs, people that have acted in self-defence. We were going to chuck them in jail. And I was like, hang on, the evidence doesn't support that this guy's done something wrong. Why are we suddenly having a witch hunt on, on people that have actually done a good job? when there's all these allegations of 30 murders and we are not investigating that. And it, it appeared to me it was because the star players, the really good media guys were involved in murders, some flunky is involved in done his right job. And we were so cynical. We'd chuck the flunky in jail, throw away the key, and we'd laud the, um, the, the, the kind of star player. Now that really, as a professional soldier, that, that turned my blood cold that we would um that we would just uh we would treat people like trash people that have they've given their lives for their country we would say oh well the political winds change we need a scapegoat you're gone you're gonna we're gonna give you a medal it was all run like the tail wag the dog and I, I, that was too much for me for you that's got to be like the conduct you see in the corporate world michael well you don't need to be embedded in a military sense in order to be influenced you don't have to be embedded. You don't have to be compromised militarily or by a, a war machine in order to uh, have institutional influence over what you do. And I just think we see it at the moment. And as we've discussed, John, I mean, the, the standard of journalism now, for various reasons, is through the floor, to the point where there's a crisis of confidence in society about what they see in the media, what they see when they turn on Channel 9, or they open up the Daily Telegraph, well, you got on cars, for instance. It's all it's all glossy stuff, and, yeah, yeah. and you've, as we've discussed before, made a living from actually just telling the truth. I can't tell the truth about this car. My platinum frequent flyer status <laughs> will be at risk. Come on. Yeah, that's right. And and you picked that. And it's bad enough in cars. I mean, some of the stuff I saw you do one about the uh, running the car on um, excess fish and chip oil or something, and, oh, you, yeah. and you picked it apart and said it doesn't make sense. But yeah, when we start running wars like that, where we just kind of make something up which looks good and we say oh, we're doing it for women and children and it's all wrong, it's all a lie and get, put a medal on this guy who doesn't deserve it. 
Um, the difference being that lives are at stake, though. In the corporate world, you know, people can lose their house as a result of malfeasance on a corporate scale. Well, they can or... actually commit suicide. That has that, yeah. that, There's been journalists, in business journalists, who who've carried around with them. You know, uh, there was one notable one when I first started as a journalist, a guy that killed himself after being revealed as you know being involved in a financial crime, and the journalists involved and the editors all felt bad about that but that's a radical situation compared to war journalism which is a pressing daily issue of security but the but nationalism for thing but, is but a, for example you covered the JobKeeper thing and the way those funds were misused and there was always going to be leakage with JobKeeper but yeah. the scale of some of the leakage like AP Eagers the big um, car dealer group I think it was 154 million dollars profit of which something in the order of don't quote me but 138 million was JobKeeper. It was straight to the bottom line. Yes, yeah, like, this here's isn't, your profit. This isn't some and sort this of is... subsidy. This is like here is your literally here's your profit. Go and distribute it to your shareholders. Yeah, but this is PET scanners that don't get bought for a hospital, or roads that don't get built yeah. in regional Australia, or social programs, affordable housing that doesn't happen because. AP Eagers isn't paying it back because no. they've got obligations to their stakeholders. Forty billion like, of waste, on. and the only. The negligible amounts were paid back. You know, some people like Harvey Norman were shamed into it. It was simply a reputation management thing that they paid back some. The issue, of course, is that about half of it, of the 80 billion, um, was wasted, given to companies that didn't need it, who went on to, to notch up record profits and whose revenue actually rose. So the way that it happened, and I agreed that they needed to move fast. This was an emergency, it was a global pandemic, there needed to be decisive action, and all the central banks around the world were moving exactly the same time to absolutely smash interest rates lower. And there had needed to be subsidies, but instead of giving money to people who spend it in, in a cash splash, and that stimulates the economy, they gave it to companies because they believe, this mob believes everything is better off in private hands. Privatisation is the holy grail in itself. But when that happens, reason. the transfer of wealth is like consolidated revenue that everyone contributes to, even at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. You're some hard-working aged care worker on some low wage. You pay your tax. It goes to consolidated mm. revenue. Mm. And then AP Eagers gets $138 million worth of that. And they've got obligations to their shareholders and it ends up going to people who invest in the share market, right? Well, that's that's, that's a happens. transfer of wealth to the poorest people in society from the poorest people to the richest yeah, people, which is the, immoral. By far and away, the biggest transfer of wealth in Australian history from ordinary people, from public money to large corporations who didn't need it. I mean, for goodness sake, Gucci and Prada and these yeah, Italian fashion houses were getting it. But the way that it happened, it moved very quickly and who was advising Treasury? AI Group and the BCA. They were actually in the meetings. It finally came out later on, and they both advocated. These are PR groups. These are lobbyists that are yeah. literally paid government money to lobby the government. Well, you've got the, like right, you've got the right shirt on for that, haven't like, you? Because like, that's exactly you know, what that is. Like mm. in defence, it's, yeah. it's Aspie and so on. They literally paid our money, public money, to lobby the government for weapons manufacturers. So... I, we always just try to follow the money, but in this case, they none of them advocated for a clawback mechanism. In other words, if you yeah. didn't need it, pay it back. There would have been no problem with that, but they did not advocate that position because it wasn't in their interest and things just moved on. Speaking of the military, like war is terrible, etc. except if you supply F-35 Joint Strike Fighters or clever new rifles or night vision goggles or something of that nature. So... It, it kind of is, there's a corporate vested interest in keeping us at war, isn't there? There's a huge problem with that. There's a, it, it's an absolute huge problem. Well, they had a very good uh, aircraft in Afghanistan, which all the soldiers loved. It was called the A-10 and it was... Um, the Warthog. The Warthog. It's sort of, I don't know, it's like 1950s design, I yeah, think, 70s yeah. mm. And if you were stuck, if you were the special forces and you were pinned down by the Taliban, Warthogs would come along and boom, 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 and, you, and they loved it. Phase it out in favour of the F-35 or what if some hugely expensive plane, uh, which didn't do the job as well because it's going twice the speed and it's very hard to hit the target, a bit like, you know, trying to hit 
hit a polo ball on a, on a racehorse as opposed to a, a slow horse. And yet, yeah, we still got the more expensive jet. And there was no, there was no, no one to fight. I mean, no Air Force, Taliban didn't have an Air Force, but they just bought in, because of the lobbyists, they bought in the more expensive equipment. And that, that's the, the way all, all along. There is just lobbyists. Um, it doesn't matter what people really need. We will buy of whatever's most expensive. The, the submarines are the same. You know, the, the, the story within the Defence Force, the guy that signed off on the French submarines was, was, was uh, living in a chateau for six months in France, getting wine and dine. And um, yeah, and people die as a result. That's what makes yeah. me angry. Again, as a professional soldier, people die because some fat cat has, has done a deal with his mates and um, it just makes your blood boil. And we put out a nice glossy brochure done by the, um, you know, the PR people. It's, it's, worse, it's worse in defence, of course, because they can always, officialdom can just pull down the little curtain and say national security, national security can't talk about yeah, it. And of course, politically, two-party state, anybody who criticises wars or national defence neither Labor nor Liberal, because they're going to be called chicken hawks straight away. Yeah. They're wedged, mm. so everybody has to be there was, uncritical there was about defence spending. one of the most spending. awful examples on that. It was a, a, an armoured vehicle that we bought, and um, the, uh, the, the uh, auditor said, hang on, we've paid ten times what, you know, for, uh, this, for this vehicle from this company, and how did this happen? And the Attorney General, Christian Porter, got hold of the report, and he censored the... Uh, Censored the offending paragraphs and said, "Oh, national security! You can't say that about my buddies who are big donors to the Liberal Party." And and mm. people were like, "How is that national security got away with it?" It's like, so, well, so talk to me about the role of technology in war, because this fascinates me as an engineer. So many mechanical mm. engineers work in defence, designing mm. clever new ways to kill people with tungsten darts full mm. of copper and come in at Mach seven out of an Apache and all of that stuff. It's quite sexy until you think about the human cost, but yeah. the the, the salient thing that I've seen since the 70s in Vietnam was that our team, the coalition sort of team, mm. has always had superior technology, mm. but never come away that victorious. I know. And, and why is that the case? Because surely, and you'd know this better than me, but surely at the level of an actual skirmish, if you're lying in wait for the bad guys with night vision goggles and better rifles and you've got mm. air support and the bad guys come and stand on the X and you just shoot them in the back, that's fantastic. Mm. Like, great for, our, great for our team, right? Mm. Why does that not translate to winning a war? Well, that's a great point. And, um, and this is the one I tried to make, you know, if, if, with the coming war in China that we keep getting told about, if, if technology was, was that good, how come the Taliban beat us? You know, these guys with flip-flops and rusty old AK, they beat us. On horses was there, like, <laughs> hello. So we, we must, the technology can't be that, you know, it doesn't do everything. But, of course, the salesmen are up there. Uh, we, had, we had so much. We had more than you even realised. We had drones. We had with this and looking over. We had spies. We still lost. So there's much more of an X factor. We need to have the moral high ground. We need to... Um, know what we were doing. We could have settled that war um, easily. The Taliban were not beyond um, actually negotiating with, and I'd met them in, in before the war started, and I knew that it was possible. But it, unfortunately, in a democracy, war wins votes. Blowing shit up, people see it on the 7 o'clock news and they go, wow, that must be good. And I think that that's the real... In some ways, they did win the war in Afghanistan in the sense that George W. Bush got re-elected, Obama got re-elected, Howard got re-elected. People, we won in that sense. And also a lot of, as we discussed, the, um, the political parties win because they give contracts to people to build roads, to build schools, whatever. And the, and the people who pay that, Jake's buying something, uh, <laughs> whoever gets the huge contract then gives a big donation back to political. It's incredibly short term and cynical, but um, yeah, that's the way uh, we run it. And I laugh about we can spend all this stuff in China, we can get new submarines, which is going to take 20 years to get here, but more jets and more, or we could just stop kissing the Americans' ass and then we might not be in the same position that we're in. It's a bit, it's a bit of a much more cost-effective way of uh, dealing with the 
Pacific, I would have thought. Well, we haven't been forward-looking in that sense with the AUKUS arrangements, (laughs) going back to the old Great Britain, the motherland, and and cementing ties further with America, who we're great mates with anyway. And sort of it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a giving the bird to our Asian Pacific neighbours, in my view. But you did get the, I mean, the Ukraine thing is just dreadful, tragedy what's happening there. But you That's did, a real assault on the world well, order. Well, I, I sort of got the view because they were really warming up for this idea that we needed to go to war with China. You know, creating yeah. China as the big enemy as if we'd have any chance going to war with China, you know. But then Ukraine happened. And in a sense, it was a sense of, I mean... The Murdoch had it on the front page every day, still does, and you know, goodies versus baddies. But you get the sense that they're a bit deflated because they could no longer push this let's go to war with China angle. And instead, there was a real war going on, thanks to Putin, in Ukraine, but it wasn't really our war. It was kind of like... Yeah, no, they want to get involved oh, somehow. They want to get involved. Well, let's send them some coal. <laughs> it's, it's a real like the World Cup. <laughs> let's send them some coal. Yeah, yeah, we'll get yeah, the public yeah, money, yeah, our yeah. taxes, and yeah. we'll get $30 million to because this coal good company. Because War is good for votes. We have to somehow get involved in this World Cup. Yeah, yeah. The Olympics. Yeah, no, it's like that. Well, this thing you were saying about, in a sense, that's a victory, right? Mm. In a sense. That's, that's a victory for bullshit. Yeah, it's a victory, it, right? absolutely a victory and I, for bullshit. And I think we're all in furious agreement that there's a little bit too much bullshit in society and perhaps we should identify the most insidious flavours and sort of wage war on it, perhaps. Mm. How would you do that? Well, you are in the business of doing that, Michael. So how does, how does being a, a frontline warrior in the jihad on bullshit actually play out for you? Do you, do you get much hate mail from people or... Not uh, enough anymore. I haven't had a death threat for many years now. I'm sort of missing them a little bit. It is a badge of honour, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the thing is there is systemic, as we were discussing before, there are bigger, fewer, larger institutions, all which are politically powerful in their own right. They all donate to the major parties. There's a reciprocality there, as in defence, David, you were saying. There's all. It's got bigger and tighter. They're all bailed out with JobKeeper or most of them. Doors must slam in your face, though. I mean, you did have trouble getting your protege Callum onto the election bus, didn't you? Well, oh yeah, they just—it's you don't exist. So PR'd, so organised, so you know, we couldn't even get into budget lockup uh, because <laughs> you've really—I mean, we did get yes, eventually a press pass to become a member of the Canberra Press Gallery. Of course, um, it's a bit of an us and them mentality with journalists these days. There's independents yeah. like us and there's mainstream, corporate media and ABC. And so really, you know, we don't think much of them and they pretend that we don't exist. Yeah. That's the sort of way it's working That's at the moment. That's exactly so, how it works So Jordan Shanks, who's got 600,000 on, on YouTube, they just pretend, even though anybody under 40 watches Shanks, they don't watch the, whatever, mm. you know. Speaking of hilarity, though, and, and the rise of bullshit, I watched John Barillaro's departure speech as the uh, Deputy Premier of New South Wales. And one of the things he cited in that speech was the emotional cost of the court case against Shanks. It was an action yeah. that he brought. That he brought. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like he was a wasn't like he was a witness against the mob. Oh, had a bit of Ben Robert Smith about him, really, didn't it? Never shot in the foot. What a noble man he was. He was brought down by bullies. Yeah. <laughs> that was exactly the tone of it. It was like I was being I'm bullied. You don't understand the incredible emotional cost of this I on did. me and my family. Well, just stop doing it, dude. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, you know? it's pretty funny. And um I, uh, it is the war against bullshit, and, and, and I love seeing uh, you uh, pick apart all these sort of uh, things that people accept without, um, without thinking about it. Because well, the facts are so inconvenient. I know. Right. And the science, you know, you actually bring out the science, and that's um, because it, it, there's nothing wrong with, you know, well, we might have to fight wars, you know, I've grown up on that part. And, um, but we can't lie about it, we can't continually lie about it. And one of the weapons that I've got is that I'm prepared to go to jail. You know, I am, obviously there's not much else you can do. And I'm hoping that by going to jail, if that's what happens, that it will make more and more of the sort of everyday people say, hang on, what did this guy actually do? Because it's a pretty, as you said, it's pretty hard to know how to fight it. Well, this is, this is really the same kind of mission that you were on when you were in the ADF. 
right? Yeah, it is. Because at, at its deepest level, what you did is a fight for the values that we stand for as a society, which is essentially the laws that we have and the, mm. the, the underlying moral code that we all agree on, right? Yeah. And you're sort of fighting that war and prepared to go under the bus if that's how it plays. But if that is how it plays, the trial is going to be secret, isn't it? Potentially. Course, more bullshit that they say no, except if it's matters of national security and their definition of national security is everything. But it's, but it's a jury trial, right? It's a jury trial. So the only people who can hear that are going to have to be members of society with top secret clearance. Yeah. How hard is it to get that? It's pretty hard. It like, takes a couple of years. You had one. <laughs> I had one. I had one. And um, yeah, so I don't even know if they if they've got any idea of how that's going to work. Has that ever been done in Australia? No, There's never, never been a jury trial no, of that nature. No. Right. And so I don't even know how, if, whether whether they've even thought that far. But I mean... Are they just trying to make your life abjectly shit? I think so. And I think to warn other people off, to say don't yeah. challenge the government, uh, don't ever challenge the government. And that's what annoys me. And it's come out with uh, the Bernard Caleri case recently, the idea that the government cannot commit a crime. And even if they do, it's not relevant and whistleblowers are not even allowed to point that out. That, that seems to be wrong to me. But plenty of whistleblowers have their lives properly fucked by blowing the whistle, don't they? Like Julian Assange. What, what a hoot his life must be. And they for the do. past few years. They do. And I admire him because even though when he was stuck in the embassy, he, they still went and released what they call Vault 7, which was about the CIA, yep. which he must have known at that point he was really going to be fucked. Mm. And so that was quite a brave thing to do. It is, it is tough. And these are the ones we know about. How many whistleblowers went and hung themselves quietly in their own garage? Before the internet, I suspect a great many because mm. more control of the media, yeah. right? And very few independents in the true sense and easy to just label someone a communist and take them out the back in yeah. some regimes. Oh, sure. Well, there's a sort of senior executive bubble position in Canberra that, it, as I see it at least, is absolutely out of step with the median opinion of Australians. Mm. You know, if you explained in pub lingo, your situation to most Aussies, they'd go, oh yeah, fair enough, good on yeah. you. Yeah, that's well right. Well done, right? But there's this sort of institutional view that we flagged him, we're going to make his life shit and we're going to do everything we can. <laughs> and they must know, because they, yeah. they sent they tried to gaslight me, they sent me to a, um, a psychiatrist who, who basically told me, um, tried to drive me to suicide. And there is a program, someone else, they were busted, uh, with the ATO, they had a series of whistleblowers and they all got sent to psychiatrists by defence uh, who all told them that they were, they, were, they were imagining things. And that's something we've borrowed from the Americans and then they post you to Ayers Rock or something like that. They, they've got this handbook about how to yeah, deal with it. Yeah. And you know, the people that, um, as you said, the senior executive service got a lot to, a lot to answer for. They're on, they're on 900 grand, most of them. Um, and it's not because it's such a hard job to run the department. It's obviously because they know where the bodies are buried yeah. and that is basically bribe money. That they will just do whatever the government wants and keep the, keep people down. Well, the independence of the public service is a huge one in my view. I mean, the public service used to be, well, there's always issues with it being you know, co-opted by politicians, but it's certainly become now... Too that was close. A, I mean, yeah. the Treasury used to be lauded for its independence and so on. And, and you know, the tax office is still fairly independent, although they didn't want to, they weren't too independent when it came to job keeper revelations. Uh, but it's a real problem because the government, in its neoliberalism, has taken the view private good, public bad. So we're going to get rid of, we're going to, we're going to outsource everything. We're going to outsource government. What it's done, the cost of government. In, on many metrics, is higher than it's ever been. Yeah. So the irony is... But the lack that of in-house experts has never been lower. It's never yeah. been lower. And once yeah. you gut yeah. the, these, these experts from various arms of the bureaucracy, particularly in computers, that was the first to go. Yeah. So there's no doubt we're now we have to rely on, you know, Unices and, and all the rest of them mm. now. But it's happening in everything. I mean, the big four accounting firms, PwC, EY, Deloitte and, um, and uh, KPMG, $700 million, $800 million in government contracts. How can it be more efficient to pay one of these guys 
you know, whatever they charge, $500 an hour for every person in their team to do government for people that were actually sitting there in their grey cardigans doing government before. And I saw this as an insider as well. It's even more insidious than that because what they do, they don't, uh, it sounds all right. Oh, they're going to, you know, Deloitte are going to run it for. What they do is they ask Deloitte a question and the question is not how do we run the country more efficiently. The question is how do we sell this thing we have already wanted to do which will make us look good and we'll pay you $600 million to tell us um, basically how to become more popular with a phony plan. Yeah, there's no, they're not really there to make up a, you know, an idea about how to run the country better. They're just there to make a fee. They're mm. to Give make, me a watch and I'll tell you the time. To make yeah. the, the government more popular with taxpayer money. Mm. Give me a watch and you'll be leaving the top job this in Australia. But it's This is the point. Yeah. The go the, this government is the highest cost government by a long way yeah. ever. It's the highest taxing as well, despite the rhetoric. This is, gets back to our bullshit theme, yeah. which is mm. an ever-recurrent theme, John, mm. that... Everything is about image. This is almost a complete triumph of image over substance. Well, the problem with that, right, is that when you have something that matters, like a pandemic, the problem with being fed bullshit is mm. that it's not entirely, it doesn't go through seamlessly. Everybody knows that there's bullshit mm. and we're eating it mm. and there's no alternative restaurant to dine at when <laughs> it's being fed to you by the health minister or the defence minister or whatever. Right. And the problem with that is when science goes and figures out some vaccines and gets them out in record time and mm. kicks it through the post on the full mm. by any objective measure, people don't trust that yeah. in the same way that they don't trust politicians. There's no the fracturing of trust is across the board. Not it's not all that selective. So how do you wage war on that? And at the risk well, of they being, double down again, what about my favourite? lie of the election campaign or bullshit is ScoMo's I Save 40,000 Lives. <laughs> now, I, when I first saw it, I saw Greg Hunt saying it at a press conference. I thought, how did you save 40,000 lives, mate? We were like at the very arse end mm. of the vaccination thing. It's not we, a race. After a while, not a race. when it became a race, we, we managed to get going and, and get people know, vaccinated. But great. we were like below all of our global peers. We were last. We, we told Pfizer where to go because it was a complete stuff up. And then ScoMo comes out, I say, 40,000 lives. And I, I haven't bothered even to look at the... I think we, we, we rang up and said, can we have a look at your modelling, please? Of course, you never get anywhere there. Armies of PR people stop you. Oh, that's like asking for the health advice. advice. But you're right, though. It, it does have a cost. It does have a cost in trust. It's a deep societal cost. And then, um, as you said, we, then we're trying to do something important and then people, the boy who cried wolf sort of thing, people don't necessarily believe it. And all, it had a cost in our national reputation in Afghanistan. Imagine what mm. the Afghan... I mean, the defence guys thought they were pretty clever with all the sort of PR bullshit. But imagine what the Afghans think of us. You know, imagine what the, you know, the Iraqis, any country, they, they're not fooled by our infel ops. Well, here's the, yeah. here's the thing, right? I routinely, and I do satire, and it pains me to point out to some, you know, blue man 222 in the comments that do, it's satire, but I refer to Australia as shitsville, <laughs> right? And I used to get, like years ago, I used to get people take me on, it's the best damn country on earth kind of thing. I don't get that anymore. Yeah. Right. People don't say that. I think there's a deep revelation, realisation within society that we really have slipped in so many ways. Yeah. We're more corrupt. Yeah. We're a laughing stock on climate. Yeah. Like climate matters. And if, you, you know, if you're a mouth breather who goes, oh, CO2's plant food, that's a bullshit, mate. Right. <laughs> if that's you, then, OK, you're allowed to have that view, free speech and all. But the facts don't support that view. And this mm. is an existential crisis, right? Yeah, well, we have slipped down the rankings and, on a and, whole lot of... And, and like Australia is turning into shitsville. Mm. i got my hat there, the Mal's hat, the make mm. Australia less shit hat, right? <laughs> because that's all we can do. We can only hope incrementally mm. to make Australia a little less shit every day. Yeah. And after 10 years, we might be back where we were when I was a kid. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it hurts me too. It, it, yeah. Exactly, because this is not the country that I grew up in. And it, we wouldn't need seismic changes, but just a little bit more of truth. As I said, we can't face these crises if we just try and pretend it's not happening. Well, part mm. of the part of the the thing is 
we're so incredibly lucky. And if you just look at what's happened economically in the past couple of years, what's gone through the roof right now? Fossil fuel prices. Mm. What are we huge in? Mm. Totally. Thermal coal, gas and oil, but gas and these are the two big boom things at the moment. Thermal coal prices are going through the roof. Ukraine's one reason, commodity demand from China, etc. But what we're saying is the things that are killing the planet, that the scientists say don't, you know, we need to shut these down. We've got 114 new fossil fuel projects on the boil when, when you know, major global authorities say, no, we have to know no more new fossil fuel projects. And they're we're economically in awesome the for us. But they're all going through the roof. Yeah. And the other one, iron ore, of course, the building boom in China, Japan, etc. So all our commodities, and this isn't, this is just potluck. It's not because Australians are geniuses. The, mm. the standard of government and of mm. truth and etc. gone through the floor. But commodity prices, we sell all this stuff. And more recently, the farmers, of course, I mean, you know, what is it, 80 bucks for a rack of lamb. Yeah. I mean, this is all going through the roof too. The drought has ended, commodity prices across the board, and we're just sitting here as a farm and a quarry, just exporting all the stuff, no value adding, mm. and uh, and it's it's incredible luck. Now, that luck, I think, in the end, will have a pernicious effect because we're sort of used to this idea that we are really lucky country and it's all good, but then where does it end? Because... The public confidence in the institutions of government and private, large private institutions is going, is diminishing. The ability to be able to reform properly is diminishing. Well, it's a bigger job, exponentially bigger job every year to reform something that's incrementally mm. more fucked every year, isn't mm -hmm. it? Like, that's hard work. And the money cover, the sheer potluck of these huge commodity price surges. Yeah just makes it easy for us to go, well, we're doing the right thing. I mean, But it's a free kick for the bullshitters. Like, what a great job we're doing. Yeah, Look at yeah, the balance that's, sheet. That's you know? so, but yeah. you're right, something like the tax. And mm. you point this out all the time. Mm. These huge corporations mm. making big profits don't, often don't pay any tax at all. Mm. And uh, someone on a, a minimum wage, the nurses, is pays a lot, relatively a lot of tax. Yeah, and how are we going to sort that out? And each year we need to... We need to take that off. Well, we could have used the pandemic because don't forget all the money that was given away to corporations. Just to take, a, take Qantas, Qantas, for instance. Now, Qantas is a hard business to run logistically. It must be the, and Joyce, by and large, I think, gets a lot of criticism, often deserved. But He does it, a lot of right things. It, it is, yeah. uh, it, it is he's a bright good. guy. It's a very, there's five unions, there's massive workforce, the logistics are Globally incredible. distributed. Glo yeah. You've got all sorts of external shocks. If there's a the volcano goes off in, in Greenland, you know, that, it, you know. But one thing about the tax rate, this is just one thing, right? There's tax losses and you can bank them forever. So if you make a, a $2 billion loss because airlines is highly cyclical, then you can use those $2 billion worth of losses and pay no profits in the good years. A simple thing that I've always said is, and you speak to any tax lawyer, they'll say the same, why don't we cap it? Make, let's just say you can only claim tax losses for four years because guess what? Vodafone, Hutchison Australia has never paid tax in Australia. ExxonMobil, $70 billion yeah. worth of income, no tax, yeah. global giant. How do they do it? Tax losses generated on this project, match them against the profits. Sure. And so these are simple reforms. And the government, if they had any courage and integrity, would just go, listen, we've seen you guys all through the pandemic. We've used public money to subsidise you guys. So you're still paying yourself your multi-million dollar salary, Alan Joyce. What about it then? Let's cap the amount of tax losses that you can claim so that you pay a bit of tax. You can't just keep on banking them and exploiting them forever. Now, I need, I need a brainy guy like you to explain something that's always perplexed me, and it was highlighted during the whole election campaign and in the lead-up to that, right? Donors to political parties, the big donors are generally corporations. Their donations are disclosed. They're six-figure sums often, right? And... Decisions that impact ordinary Australians are made often, they're predicated on donations. Who makes the donations? Who's going to benefit from that? Blah, blah, blah. But it's only people that vote. Corporations don't vote. So once every election, we all get to have a vote. And if we've been thrown under the bus because governments look after their donors, 
why don't governments get half smart and be better at looking after us and occasionally just put the donations to one side? Well, you get the view that once every three years, you get the feeling that, you know, you do have a bit of power at this time. The politicians, they're listening. They are actually listening because they need your votes. Mm. But the rest of the time that you sort of get this feeling that actually somebody else is running the joint. And you, it's not just the money, though. If it was, they're incredibly cheap. It doesn't cost much. Yeah. And, and the way that it actually works is definitely not a straight quid pro quo. It's just to like, I'm a player. I'm in this game. It's like if you're a, an investment banker, you drive a BMW or whatever. You're in the game, you know. And, and tax avoidance is the game. That's changed a little bit because community perceptions have changed. But I just think there's this sort of like the treasurers, the real party party people are the are the Who's the Liberal Party treasurer? Oh, we never hear much about him. Who's the Labor Party treasurer? Oh, we don't hear much about them either. Yeah. But when you think about the power dynamics and the junior politicians who we know all about, like we hear mm. about Porter and Tudge and, and Maurice Payne, all these people, but the are they really power powerful brokers. compared to yeah. the person that holds the bag that goes round tapping on all the corporate doors and says, come on, guys, it's time for your 20 grand? No pay up. Yeah, you're right. And they pay up. So it's it's more of a like a, they don't need them. They should ban them because it compromises the whole system, the money yeah. in the system. Yeah, it does definitely. I mean, it's an arrogance. And you're right. I was it, it was quite old, but I realised actually I was told the most important person in in the television channel is not the programmer or the is the the advertiser, the guy who brings in the advertising. The advertising, <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, yeah. that's, that's the that's only in all matters. Mate, yeah. that's in all publishing. Like, yeah. if you go to the editorial floor of a newspaper, it's yeah. all like old computers and working yeah. shoulder to yeah. shoulder. You go to the advertising department, it's yeah. freshly painted. And it's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot more Prada. Well, and, it's, yeah, it's quite out of control. I mean, that's all they care about. Yeah. You, you're a Volkswagen, I got caught out, and it, it, it didn't matter whether their cars were really... They would just make it up. Mm. Oh, this is what people want here. Yeah, we'll just make it up. Well, it's like the, the, in the, the cars. Yeah. It's the, the sales guys are in the nice shiny showroom, but the guys that actually do the the work yeah. <laughs> are out the back in the yeah. you know yeah. in the sub basement with no yeah. natural light, yeah. getting yeah. their hands yeah. filthy. And but look, a, a question for you because I know we're getting a little tight on time. But a, yeah. a question for you: I've had times in my life, many times in my life, where if I could go back and play it differently, I would. And if Doctor Who lands in the blue TARDIS and mm. offers you the chance to go back and not blow the whistle, not write the 20-page document, not bash your head against a brick wall and not be sitting here today in this position, would you take him up on it? No, I wouldn't change anything. I absolutely wouldn't. It's, I mean, it's hard trying to raise money and all that sort of stuff. But the, the thing I fear most is my conscience and uh, I'm happy with what I've done. I'm happy with what I face. As I said, I'm, I'm, the only thing I worry about with the trial, even if I go to jail, is that people know my story. Yeah. I want people to know my story, but I have no fear of jail. Uh, and I, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. It can't be as bad as being shot at by the Taliban. That's right. Because you'd be a bit of a shit soldier if you were that scared of jail, I guess. So we'll put the links to all of our channels in the various descriptions where the videos are posted. But given that bullshit is such a salient factor in all of our lives and in society and of this podcast, what's the biggest bullshit you've seen lately, perhaps in relation to you know, society or the election, Michael? Well, there's been some good ones. One of my favourite was the Tasmanian forestry package by Scott Morrison. So he went down and he said it was going to create 73,000 jobs. And I thought, 73,000, that sounds a lot. Uh, basically, it, was, it wasn't for forestry workers. It was a handout to a corporation. And I went and looked. Number of forestry workers in Australia nationwide, 63,000. So ScoMo, with his one handout to a company, was going to double the workforce. more than. And then I went, how many forestry people, I wonder, are in Tasmania? And I got to about 3,000. And he was saying 73,000. The Fin Review... 73,000 jobs, the, the, the newspapers, the Murdoch's papers, and everybody swine. just reproduced the pressure. So that was with coal to Ukraine, which we don't believe has left the port yet, and they're not telling us. <laughs> and uh, uh, those will be, and of course, ScoMo's, I saved 40,000 lives from the pandemic. Those are my three 
favourite bullshits how do you of the measure, election campaign. How do you measure deaths that don't happen? That's mm. that's an interesting trick. What about you, David? It doesn't have to be about the election. You're just the, the, the biggest societal bullshit that well, you can think of. One of the ones that are always that strikes me is the um, the prayer room. The, the, the prayer room story, which Jordan broke, and uh, it's been covered up. But the, the Minister of Defence at the time, Christopher Pine, and well, and who was obviously meeting with uh, the prosecutors about putting me in jail for the rest of my life, he was involved in shenanigans of the prayer room, not just him, but all his staff. And they were bringing people without security clearances into the Parliament House to entertain... Um, Members of senior members of the defence, you know, the, the defence department, um, without you know sneaking them through security, and ASIO either knew about this or, you know, completely incompetent. And uh, at the same time, they're trying to put me in jail forever for breaching national security. Now that to me just shows you how far off rails we have we have come and they wouldn't even think that there's anything wrong with that it's the ultimate dichotomy yeah yeah. right it's the ultimate dichotomy things of that here i am a soldier who's kind of puts every you know maybe a bit straight up and down but i'm prepared to you know even if if it was execution i'd still be going ahead and here they are just throwing all the rule book out the window cavorting cavorting yes and they're the ones prosecuting me you know allegedly cavorting it's hard to that it's hard for me to pick argument. a winner, but I'd I'd have to suggest that all the conduct, all the governmental conduct at federal and state level surrounding the pandemic has been just a Himalaya of horseshit for me that I would never be able to ascend, not even with Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay as my guides, <laughs> right? Because everything from it's not a race yeah. to show us the health advice, just show us the health advice and it never is forthcoming. If you want the public to buy into these immense restrictions that were placed upon us, and fair enough, just tell us the fucking truth, dudes. Come on. Like, that's all I'm asking for is show me the facts, tell me why we're doing this, I'm on board. Even... even, um it's all political. In fact, I think there was a movie on Netflix about it. If if the Earth was going to be hit by a meteor, oh yeah, they'd still they'd still be making shit up. Yeah, all, yeah they still wouldn't be trying to tell the truth. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong about God and its non-existence. Right? Mm. Maybe we were put here <laughs> just for, for bullshit. <laughs> maybe we were, maybe. the universe was bereft of bullshit. God's sitting up there in heaven, and he goes. Homo sapiens. They can make That's what we need. <laughs> and he's up there, he or she is up there laughing. Yeah. It's like an ant farm and he's laughing at the bullshit. Totally. <laughs> totally. God's a, yeah, God's a kid and we're the yeah, ant farm. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, the bullshit farm, like the Greek gods. All right, guys. Thanks very much for your time. We'll do it again. Thank you Very so strong. much, John. Thanks, John. Really enjoyed it.